okay, now we're here. So <clears throat> I was asked two years ago when I said we'd start teaching Paul, would you please teach on Paul's teaching on the roles of women in the church? And I said yes and put it off as long as I possibly could. So I had a chance to visit with Scott Riling recently and I said, hey, Scott, could you fill in for me on Sunday <clears throat> today? And he said, probably, what's up? I said, uh, the role of women in the church. He said, no. <laughs> so I went to Stephen Trammell. I said, Stephen, hey, I've got to teach on women in the church. Would you fill in for me? He said, no. <clears throat> so then I went to David Fleming. This is a true story with Stephen Trammell standing next to me. And I said, hey, David, you know how we've talked about how fun it would be and, and what a blessing it'd be for the class if you stepped out of preacher role because he's a phenomenal preacher. But you can tell he's also a wonderful teacher. I said, and, and we've talked about how much fun it would be for the class and for me and even for you to step out of the preaching role and instead teach the class and let Trammell preach on a Sunday. And he says, I'm all for it. And I said, good, because I've got this Sunday coming up where I've got to cover women's roles in the church. And he looked at me and said, not on your life. <laughs> mm. So I decided the way to do this is to commit to doing it by telling everybody it's coming. And I thought that would just kind of get everybody ready. I'd bolster it around Thanksgiving so that we could maybe have a low attendance. <laughs> because, look, there is inherently a problem here, okay? I mean, when we're talking about what women should say and shouldn't say at church, anytime you start saying that women have a minimal role, the ones who want the role to be large are going to be very vocal by nature. The women who don't want to have a vocal role, they're not going to come up and say, hey, I really like what you had to say because they don't want to talk at church. So I only get in trouble with half of you. No, I don't know. It, we're not going to get in trouble with anybody. This is going to be so easy. And I knew that because two weeks ago, when I said I was teaching on it, a wonderful lady in this class came up to me afterwards. And she's emailed me before and she's helped me uh, direct this class in, in ideas. And she came up to me and she said, lay it on the line. Don't sugarcoat it. You explain to those women that they just need to accept the way God has set it up. Because the, the men have a role of authority and responsibility in the church that doesn't belong to women. And women just need to accept that and get on with it. So don't sugarcoat it. You be firm. <clears throat> that was two weeks ago. And then last week, a very kind lady that I'd never met before came up to me and said, you know, I left the Baptist church because I need a female pastor. And I'm so glad you're going to be talking on this because you'll have a chance to explain to everybody how important it is that women be in positions of authority to meet the needs of other women, if nothing else. So... <laughs> Let's do this. That's me. <laughs> Are you ready? 
I ask myself a question in writing this lesson. My question was simple. Three letters. Why? Why do we even need this lesson? Why should we be talking about this? Why should we be studying about this? Why does it really matter? Unfortunately, I was able to answer that question, so the lesson went further. If my answer had been it doesn't, we'd be beating everyone to the cafeteria today for lunch. <clears throat> but one reason for this lesson is because when Scripture speaks, we listen. And Scripture speaks on this issue. It speaks in a number of places, and it says a number of things and it's incumbent upon us, it is our responsibility to study scripture, seeking to understand it, and seeking to bring our lives into the flow of God's truth and word as he has revealed it. That's a pretty good reason for the lesson. Try as I might to want to run for the door. Second reason, though... <clears throat> God, the, our, the, the church, Paul calls it the body of Christ. God cares enough for the body of Christ to die. To pay an ultimate sacrifice, humanly and divinely. If God cares that much for the church, then shouldn't we pay attention to what he has Within the church to build the church up. Paul spoke multiple times. Several weeks ago we looked at the, the purpose of coming together as a body. Is to build each other up. And doesn't it make sense when we try to build each other up. That we try to do it with all the tools at our disposal. If I want to build up my body. Okay, don't laugh and say you've got no shot. I know that, but it's not polite to say it, okay? I, I, I got in a mess of poison ivy. I mean, I've got, I, I, my itches itch right now, okay? I called a doctor friend of mine. I said, David, I've gotten in a mess of poison ivy. What can we do? He says, well, he says, I'll prescribe you some steroids, and I said, okay, can you call it in? He said, yes. I said, is this going to be a problem? Because I've been lifting weights and I don't want to just. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, well, I'm only giving you five days. I said, Ugh. he said, what's wrong? I said, I'm going to have to get in poison ivy again five days from now just to get more steroids. But the idea of building up is an important thing. We want to use all of the tools at our disposal. If God has put within the talent and within the mind and within the will and desire and if his Holy Spirit will work in the hearts and lives of women as well as men to build up the church, heavens, we should follow. Whatever course God has for us is important because he gives us his tools to build the church up as he wants it built up. Why else? We also have responsibility to help people grow. 
we have responsibility to help uh, uh, Michelle right there. Michelle is on the front row. Wonderful Christian wife, wonderful Christian mom. But don't we have a responsibility to see that she can be all that God wants her to be in her life? I can tell you I have four daughters. And they attract boys like flies. And some of those boys may watch this on the internet. You'd be real careful. You know which one I'm talking about, too. That's why I'm taking these steroids. um, One of the things I look for in the guys that date my daughters, I look for someone who brings out the best in them. I don't want my daughters in relationships where men bring them down. I want them in relationships where men make them shine and make them be all they can be. Isn't that what we want for each other? So we're to help everyone grow. So with this, I've put together this lesson. And i got to tell you, it's going to take two weeks to do it. So if you don't like it this week, then come back next Sunday and bring tomatoes. I do want to put out a warning. While I send these lessons to the staff here before I teach them, and I've got Louis Miori in here to throw a boomerang at me if I do something like really bad. By the way, do you know what you call a boomerang that doesn't work? A stick. Um, this, is, this is my view. This is not official church position. I don't speak for the church. The church has allowed me to teach this class and is okay with me teaching it, but not because I mirror anybody's view. Simply because in the manner in which I'm teaching it, in the approach in which I'm doing it, whether it mirrors the view or not, it's okay for me to do this because this is a family. And y'all have been in here enough to know you don't agree with everything I teach anyway. So I'm fine with that. I'm just telling you where I am on this stuff and trying to give you some things to consider. So... If you don't like it, get mad at me. Don't get mad at Pastor David or or someone else. So, that's why we're studying. That's our warning. From there, I want to ask some of the issues. We took communion this morning. I saw the men that are deacons at our church stand up, come down to the front, pick up the trays... And walked them to the aisles. And they gave one. I was sitting uh, two seats from Sandy Shiver. They gave one to Sandy. Do you know how it got to me? Sandy handed it to me. But she didn't stand up to do it. She sat down to hand that tray. And then I took the tray and I gave it to Sarah, our youngest. And Sarah stood up. To take it to another lady. Who stood up to take it to another lady. I grew up in a church. Where women were allowed to stand up. To move it from one side of their row to another. But were not allowed to stand up. To move it from one row to the row behind them. Somehow that line. 
seem to cross scripture. Or at least, at least offend some people. So women can move it side to side, but can't approach the table and move it front to back. Can women teach Sunday school? Life groups. Under Paul's teaching, would he have allowed women to stand up? Well, my wife teaches sixth grade girls. Some churches will allow women to teach equally as long as they co-teach with a man. Some allow women to teach wide open, makes no difference. Some will allow women to teach as long as they're teaching children. Some will allow them to teach as long as they're teaching women's classes. It's all across the board, but it's an issue that we should talk about. <clears throat> what can women do in the worship assembly? Can they be in the choir? <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> can they be on praise team? One of our class members this morning sang a beautiful song that ministered to all of us. As a solo, by and large, with Pastor Dick sitting down, caught up in the spirit, as Denise sang the song. But does Denise get to stand up and lead the song? How about a prayer? How about the sermon? Where do we draw lines if we draw lines? There are churches in America that are splitting over whether or not women should be allowed to preach the sermon. The issues go deeper than that if we're studying these passages from Paul because when the same verses where Paul's talking about this, Paul also talks about how women should behave in church. He talks about how women should dress. Can women look like June Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver? Or maybe Wonder Woman? Perhaps women should or should not wear makeup and pearls. That's an issue. Paul writes on it. Perhaps women should not have long hair without putting it up or having it cut. Should they braid? Should they not braid? Should they dress like Cher when they come to church? We had to work to find a picture we could use. Do they need to wear a hat? I met a nice lady this morning who's here for the first time as a guest. She had on a hat. I said, I won't make you stand up in front of everybody. But that's a wonderful thing to wear today. It fits in the lesson. Okay, what? Here's an issue for you. What titles can we give to women? Preacher? Pastor? Deacon? Deaconess? Helper? Associate pastor, minor pastor. What titles can we give them? 
These are issues. So, you got you with me? We've got our work cut out for us. Is it time we quit? <laughs> no, it's not. Let's consider the key passages. I've got really, oh, Romans 16 verse 1 we're going to look at. We're going to look at Romans 16 verse 7. Verse 1 is where Paul talks about Phoebe being a deaconess. Verse 7 is where he talks about Junia and by some translations calls Junia, which is a lady's name, uh, an apostle. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's where Paul talks about a woman praying or prophesying with her head uncovered. But then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where he says women are supposed to keep silent in the church. And we're going to try and jostle between preaching and praying with their head covered or prophesying and praying with keeping quiet. And then we're going to go over to First Timothy or Galatians 3.28 where Paul says that in Christ Jesus there's no difference. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Then we're going to go over to 1 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul says, Women, you got to dress right and I don't permit a woman to speak in church. If she's got questions, she ought to be asking her husband at home. And the reason, some believe, he says this, is because Eve was deceived first. It's not cultural, it's theological is the argument that's made. So we need to consider these passages, and that's what we're here to do hey, today. Hey, Sporto, you left out the big one. You left out the one about uh, Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's the big one. Put that on your uh, screen up there and let everybody chew on that one for just a second. That's Mark, what... get over here and take out the trash. I got, I got to go. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Becky. Um, now, the Ephesians 5 passage doesn't really apply to church, and we've got our work cut out for us without dealing with that one, so we'll leave it out today. How do we fit these pieces together? How do we take these different verses and put them together? How do we come up with some common, consistent approach that allows us to resolve these questions and all walk out of here arm in arm singing Kumbaya? Well, if it were that easy... Churches wouldn't be splitting up all over the world over this, and we wouldn't be maxed out today on the Sunday before Thanksgiving because people are coming in really interested to see what we're going to do, maybe. So how do we fit these pieces together? Let me tell you what I'd like to do. I'm going to give you four common approaches that the scholars have, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to put them in the most positive way I can, but I'm also going to be critical of each one because each one has its shortcomings. And you're going to be sitting there saying, okay, well, which one are you suggesting is right? And before I really suggest what's right, you've got to come back next Sunday. Because there really is too much for me to put into one lesson. There is a wealth of information that's just been brought out even within the last decade. 
where scholars have really intermingled disciplinary things. And, and I'm really excited to talk about some information that I don't care how much you've studied this. I think it really might behoove you to hear it. So if you can't come next week, then I hope at least you'll get this off the Internet. Because uh, it will, if, if it's something that interests you, there is some information I'd like to give you next week. But for this week, we've got to lay the groundwork. So let's talk about the four common approaches. First, the most common strict approach that I've come across in my studies and in my almost 50 years on the planet is what I'll, I'll look at at first. And to, to do this approach before we do it, let's set these scriptures out and actually look at the scriptures for just a minute. Uh, I told you what they were, but, but let's, uh, let's examine them together so that we've got them. We're starting in the Romans 16 passage. In Romans 16, let's see if we can do this where I've got room. Can you all still read it when it's that size? Okay. Paul starts out, this is his personal greetings in, this, in his letter to the Romans church. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. She's a servant of the church at Kentry. And he says, I commend her to you that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, because she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, you'll see in our English Standard Version a four next to that word servant. You see that four? That's a footnote. And if you come down to the footnote, four says, or deaconess. Diaconone is the word, it's the feminine form of the word deacon. And so the issue is, from this passage, is she officially wearing the title of a deacon? Or is that merely the use of the Greek word that means she's a servant? It's the same Greek word that's used of Jesus in Matthew, where Matthew says that Jesus came as a deacon for the church. Well, it's not translated deacon because Jesus wasn't a deacon at the church. He was a servant. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom, John says. And, and, and that's the, the issue the translators have. Is Paul saying that she's got the title of a deaconess? Or is he merely saying that she's a servant, she's ministered to me, she's ministered to many other people, I commend you to her or her to you because she's a servant. If we go down a little further in chapter 16 of Romans, Paul mentions in verse 7 to greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Now, that's a conservative translation of that passage. And I think probably the right translation. It's the more general reading. But there is a good argument, a legitimate argument that can be made that Paul's calling her an apostle. That they were well known as an apostle. Are as apostles. Now, apostle, not in the sense of the twelve. Paul talks about there are many apostles. Apostle, apostolos in the Greek. You know what apostolos is? What does it look like? 
Oh, doesn't look like anything then, does it? It's like a, that, is that the definition of a snow job? I uh, cannot see it. It's all white. Apostolos. What do you think it is? Postal. It's a messenger. It's someone who, who delivers a message. Jesus had 12 apostles, 12 messengers he picked out and specially anointed to take his message. They had to replace Judas because they wanted that symbolic 12. But the idea of uh, an apostle can be used. I mean, this is not a made-up word that Jesus just made up for one of the 12. It's a common Greek word that means a messenger. So you've got several thresholds to cross here on deciding whether Hunia is actually an apostle or a messenger or was well-known to the apostles or was one. But it's a passage. It's in play. Look at 1 Corinthians 11. And this is a, a longer reading, but we really need to have this in our brain and fresh as we consider this. So just work through it with me. And if I lose you, then uh, we'll pick you up in a few minutes. Paul says, I commend you because you remember me in everything. You maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. He continues. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it's the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head since he's the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Man was not made from woman, woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Because of the angels. Could be messengers. Angels also means a messenger. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things ultimately come from God. So judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him. If a woman has long hair, it's her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone's inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Long passage. But what do we get in there? We get Paul talking about women praying. And he seems to be talking about in public and in a church service because he's talking about men doing it in the same way. And the very next part of his is his instructions on the Lord's Supper. So we've got Paul talking about women praying and, and prophesying in public. But we also have Paul saying that they should do it with their heads covered. Then several chapters later, in chapter 14, Paul's talking about orderly worship in chapter 14 and verse 26. 
And he says, what then, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So if any speak in a tongue, keep it to two or three, each in turn, and you've got to have someone interpreting. And if there's not anybody who's an interpreter, then they've got to keep silent in the church and speak to themselves and God. Now, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation's made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God's not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Because they're not permitted to speak. But should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. It's shameful for a woman to speak in church. But he's just said earlier that they're praying and prophesying. See, so... And he doesn't say they should keep silent in certain aspects of the assembly. I mean, if you took that at point-blank range, he's... He's not going to let you say good morning when you walk in the door. So we've got to try and understand what he's talking about there. Galatians 3, 28. Galatians 3, I want to get a warm-up to it, so I'm going to use this instead. In Galatians 3, Paul says, starting with verse 27, As many of you were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. There is no male. There is no female. You're all one. Let's consider 1 Timothy 2 now. Starting with verse 8. This has got a couple of things in it that are rather thorny as well. Paul says, I desire that in every place the men should pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. <laughs> I guess that's opposed to lifting holy or lifting hands to pray where you're angry. <laughs> hey, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> um, likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. With modesty and self-control. Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, and look at this verse, if it's not blasphemous to say, this verse seems almost wacko. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Isn't that odd? Well, it seems odd, but I truly believe this is one area where next week 
I want to give you some information that's just going to unlock it. It's a key that fits that door so smooth and so clean that it opens up and you say, Ah, why haven't we heard this before? Unless you've heard it before. And if you have, then you're going to say, Lanier, why are you so late to the show? (laughs) But those are the passages we're dealing with. And you can see, I hope, that those passages are hard to put together. And to come up with something that's consistent, that makes sense, where we all understand where we're coming from. So we have different approaches. And and each one takes the issues and with these issues tries to put them together like pieces of a puzzle. So the strict approach, here is the one that, that I'm most familiar with from the strict school. It is, for example... Women preaching, praying, teaching. Paul says they can do it in 1 Corinthians 11, but he tells them to keep silent in the church in 14. And then he says in 1 Timothy 2, they're not allowed to speak. So some take this to mean the following. You put all of those together, and the only way, we are told, it makes sense, is that it's okay if women are teaching and praying with women but not with children. I've been in some very godly homes. One stands out in my mind where the wife of a preacher, bless you, was asked to lead the prayer for the meal. And she refused. Because there were men present. And she said, if the men want to leave, I'll pray for the food for the women, but I will not pray for the food with men present. Because to do so would be for me to violate the teachings of Paul. It's okay for women to preach, to teach, to pray, as long as they're only doing it to children who are not of faith age or to other women. Now, I have a problem with this approach, with all due respect to those who hold it. And if you hold it, my challenge to you is, that doesn't really put the puzzle together. Because Paul says, I don't permit women to speak in the church. Where two or more of you are gathered in my name, there I am, Jesus said. He didn't say where two or more men are gathered. You got two women together, you got church. It's not like a Jewish synagogue where it took ten men to officially make a synagogue. There's no rule like that in the church. Jesus specifically said, where two or more are gathered together, I'm in your midst. Church doesn't mean an attendance at a building function. Church means an assembling together of saints. It's not a building. Church is not a building in Paul's terminology. Church is a gathering. That's what the word means. Ecclesia. An assembly. So I don't think you've really put Humpty Dumpty back together again and made this puzzle all fit seamlessly to say, oh, the answer must be when Paul says women can pray and prophesy, he's only talking about them doing it to other women or to children. That doesn't seem to fit to me. But that's an approach. This same thing on the dress and the head covering, the strict approach, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen some say, yes, it applies. You should be wearing a hat, ladies. 
I've seen some say, no, that must have been cultural. Because it just seems silly not to be able to dress in the day and the fashion. And so the, that's something where we need to understand the culture of why Paul was saying it. They split on that. Another perspective of this strict approach, the labels. Most people in this strict camp will not allow women to be called apostles, elders, or even deacons. Pastors? No. Most people in this strict camp say that title denotes authority. And women are not allowed to have authority over men. It might be okay to use the word if they're a minister of children or a pastor of children or if it carries another label like uh, the minister or pastor of women. But to simply have the title, this strict approach would not allow it. And so when you get to passages that talk about Phoebe being a deaconess, they say, well, that just means a servant. This strict approach on neither male nor female, where Paul says in Galatians 3.28, not Jew nor Greek, not slave or free, there's neither male nor female. The strict approach says, what Paul's saying there is he's, he's saying that positionally in Jesus Christ, there's no difference. We both stand totally redeemed based on the blood of God, male and female, Jew and Greek, Slave or free. Positionally, we stand no different before God. But that does not mean functionally we operate the same way. And so this strict conservative approach draws a line of demarcation where it says Paul's talking about the position before God in Christ, not the function within the church. See the difference? Now, this, this whole approach has some problems. As I've pointed out to you, it's not an approach that I can sit here and say wholeheartedly, I agree with. And, and I'll preview you. This is not my camp. Second approach. This is a more permissive approach. This is, um, this is one that, that kind of frees up from some of the, the strictness of the last one. Let's see how this approach deals with the issues. The question, neither male nor female, is the starting point generally for an approach like this. This is one, Dale sent me an email from someone who had this approach this week. Uh, Gail, Dale uh, uh, was visiting the class. She came again t today because she wanted to hear this. She said to me, I wanted to introduce you, uh, myself to you. I sent you the email this week. I said, thank you, I'm using it. Here's where I'm using it. And I said, and by the way, this is going to last two weeks. And she said, oh, that's bad. I put off starting in this other class for one more week to hear you. Now I've got to put it off again. Yes, come back, Dale. So this is a, an approach that was used in a, in a presentation that, that was emailed to me this week. It's a more permissive approach. And it hinges off the idea. And it's not simply there. Uh, by the way, I've attached an annotated bibliography where I've tried to give you an idea of where these books land to the back of this so that you can do your own studies. I've told you which books I think are more scholarly and which books are more easily read and which books are more useless. Um, <laughs> though I tried to be very diplomatic. Um, 
neither male nor female is the linchpin because this view says that it speaks not only of your position before Christ, but your function as well. That for Paul, ultimately for Paul, what Paul really believed is that there should be no difference between men and women in the way they operate in the church. If a man can preach, a woman can preach. If a man can be a deacon, a woman can be a deaconess. If a man can be a pastor, a woman can be a pastor. If a man can pray, a woman can pray. No difference. There is no difference in the church, this view says, between male or female. On the issue of other passages, because it's kind of hard. See, this is me poking my holes in the views. Okay? It's kind of hard to say there's no difference when Paul turns around and says, women have to keep silent in the church and I don't permit a woman to exercise authority over a man. It's kind of hard to say there's no difference when he says, and the reason why is because of the way things happened back in the Garden of Eden. If that's truly what he means there. So these other passages... Well, what people tend to do with this is they will parse the words. Or they'll just say, well, okay, well, it doesn't make really good sense. We don't really know what it means. But somewhere in the midst of it, we, Paul was unequivocal in Galatians 3.28. And the, the word parsing is, is a challenge because 99.999% of our church family is not going to be equipped with the tools to decide whether the word parsing is correct or not. Um, I struggle with that. And I have a degree in Greek and Hebrew. And have been working with the languages for 30 years. It's still a challenge for me to go through some of the word parsing. Oh, lots of it I can go and say, that's that's... Now, but you know, there's some intricate stuff that's really hard to decide that takes some real scholastic approach. And so what we have a tendency to do when we're faced with word parsing is agree with whoever's parsing them in the way that fits our theology and decide that just makes the most sense. Or we just don't understand, but we accept it. And that's what happens with this view on the issue of titles. No problem. No problem at all. Call them anything you want to call them. Because there's no difference. It's the Galatians 3.28, male or female. You got a title for a man, give it to the woman. No problem. On the issue of dress and adornment, how they should look, what they should wear their hair, pearls, gold, things like that. That's all cultural and not an issue, generally, with people who have this view. Okay? Now, again, I got some problems with this view. This view doesn't really answer all the questions for me. I can't accept the word parsing that goes on with some of this view. I, and Paul is saying something in those verses in 1 Timothy 2. Paul is saying something in 1 Corinthians 14. And while I have bought my wife pearls... I can't just dismiss that as cultural because Becky looks stunning with a pearl necklace. I still have to try and address that. She looks stunning without one. 
Third is a, what I call the liberal permissive view. Uh, there's an SMU theologian named Paul Furnish whose book I've cited at the end. And this is one that we can build off of from last week if you were here. Here's what it says. Neither male nor female, that's it, that's the key. That was Paul's radical idea. And the thing is, Paul's radical idea was so radical the church never got a hold of it right. And so all those other passages, the Timothy stuff... Even the Ephesians 5, women submit to your husband. Eh, Paul didn't write that. That's what he says. Easy. Anything that contradicts Galatians 3.28, Paul didn't write. Whew. In fact, Furnish says, even that part of 1 Corinthians 14, he didn't write that. Someone must have taken Paul's uh, uh, Corinthian letter and written that in the margin as their commentary and then some other fella came along and copied it down and thought it was in the original. It's what he calls an interpolation. Well, I got problems with that. That's a cop-out. And I don't think it's the most intellectually uh, uh, honest answer to the to problem, at least from the way I see it. And I don't mean to suggest any dishonesty on Professor Furnish's part. I just mean I put it in the scales and I don't, I don't see it way out that way. Fourth approach. A practical approach. A practical approach says something like this. Okay, we want to build up the church. We want to build up the individual, be they male or female. We want to do it in a way that... that is most beneficial to everybody. We don't want to cause church division. We want to, don't want to cause church disharmony. We do see that there are problems in these passages. We understand that there are issues here. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to do in practice whatever we can do that seems to have the greatest result and the best good. We don't want to ruffle too many feathers. So we're going to do it And we're not going to do it because we don't care about God's word. We're going to do it because we do care about God's word. And we can't figure out exactly how all of this plays. So since we can't figure out exactly how it all plays. Women can do teaching in in ways that don't seem to ruffle too many feathers. And women can lead singing in ways that don't tend to ruffle too many feathers. And women can say prayers publicly in ways that don't ruffle too many feathers. But we just need to do it with some sensitivity because there are two sides to this coin. And it's a balancing act that we're trying to walk because we care. See, and and, and while there are problems to this approach, one of the problems that is falsely assigned to this approach is the idea that it's a cop-out. I don't think it's a cop-out. I think this is a caring approach that says, hey, I don't want to fall off the cliff over here. But I don't want to fall off the cliff over there. And I'm not sure exactly where the borders are, but this seems safe enough right down through here. And so this is the path that we will walk. If I were to assess our practice at Champion Forest, I would say this is the approach more typically that's used here. Now, what does this do with titles? 
titles, titles, you know, one of the toughest things with titles in the Bible is we're never sure when they're titles and when they're not. I can tell you Carol Way serves in this class every bit as much as Danny does. Now, if I want to call Danny a servant in our class and I want to use a capital S for him, does that mean I can't use a capital S on servant when I talk about Carol? I, I, titles, those are problems. So you've got to figure out how to navigate the territory. The kind lady that came up to me last week and said, I need a female deaconess in my life to be able to speak to me about female issues that you men would never understand. In my heart, maybe with my words, I said, well, amen, on at least the part that I wouldn't understand. I'd love to. Oh, I wish I could. But the mind and heart of a woman, <laughs> I got no shot. Okay? And women don't come to me for counseling. If you want someone that understands you, go to Lewis or go to a woman. See, what we got to do at, at, the, at this is, is everybody works for peace. Because I do know that's something that God covets. I do know that the goal is to build the church, not to tear the church down. And I do know the goal is to build each other, male and female, not to tear them down. And I do know that women should not be in a position where it emasculates the male. Because we have a bunch of men who don't understand what it means to be a man anyway. And they're not the leaders they need to be in their families with their wives or their children. But I also know that men are not in a position to lord it over their wives. Much less lord it over other women in church. If men are called to love their wives the way Christ loved the church, what did Christ do for the church? He suffered the uttermost humiliation and gave every ounce of strength and blood he had to see that the church, his bride, his wife, was built up and empowered and brought to fruition to be the fullest and best that she could be. That's what a real man does. That's what the Lord does. And somehow in the midst of all of this, that's what we're supposed to do. So how then do we unlock these passages to understand them? That's what I'd like to try and do next week. So next week, if you are not too stuffed from your Thanksgiving rolls, come look at the rolls for women. And we'll see if we can offer any fresh insight. Which means hang on to your outlines because some of it's in there. But now that I've, I wrote that with the idea that that would be a one-week lesson, and as I was preparing it orally, I thought, I can't do it justice. So I'm going to divide it into two. So you can hang on to it. You can read it ahead of time. I'll bring in some more material to flesh it out because there's some incredible stuff, incredible stuff for us to look at. Points for homes. I love Romans 16.1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. I don't care what you call her. Little D deaconess, big D deaconess, little S servant, big S servant. I don't think Paul was into a title. I don't think Phoebe was into the title. If she was into the title, I'm not sure he'd have been commending her. I'll tell you who some of the most commendable people in our church are. 
are some of the deacons that I've known for years before I knew they were deacons. The people in this class who serve this class are to be commended. If you want a title, I, look, we can give you one. Field Marshal for life. That title's generally available in almost any setting. And I commend to you all the field marshals for life that we have in this class. I just think it's a wonderful thing. Service is commendable, whether it has a title or not. And we need to get our heart in line. I'm not a deacon in this church. I don't, I, I don't want to be a deacon in this church. I don't think God's called me to be a deacon in this church. But it doesn't mean I can't serve. I serve without a title. And I'm fine with that. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You're all one in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, regardless of the view you take on this and how expansive it is, one thing everyone's got to agree on. We are called to the service of God and not our personal agenda. Whether our personal agenda is to see church like the rolling stones under my thumb. Or whether our personal agenda is free at last, free at last. We need to make sure we've got God's agenda and that we're tuned into it, not trying to take God's agenda and turn it into what we want. And that's a hard thing to do because we are um, struggling people. Do your best to present yourself as, to God as one approved, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul gave that admonition to Timothy and that's what we want to do. I love the King James Version. Study to show thyself approved unto God. That's the way mom made us memorize it. A workman having no need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. We had to memorize that when I was in fourth grade. Because mom said it's important you study the word. That's what we're going to do next week. So try to come back. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for everybody in here. Jew, Greek, male or female. Richer, poorer, everyone, Lord, I thank you that we, in the name of Jesus Christ, can come before you with no one between us save the Lamb of God himself and enroll ourselves into your service. Lord, would you use us, but not just us, use this whole body to bring your kingdom message to this earth, to see your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Move in our hearts, move in our lives, sharpen our minds, bring us to a place of greater understanding, clarify confusion, and make this a wonderful week for us to grow before you in understanding these things. I pray that everyone who can will be here next Sunday, Lord, that you'll put it in their minds and hearts, that your Holy Spirit will remind them, oh, yeah, let's go see if there really is something worth listening to. And I pray that you'll empower me to be able to bring any truth that's out there that might help shed light on this subject. This is our prayer through Jesus, our Lord. Amen.